out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing. There is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. Hi everyone. Douglas is a legend in the recovery community in our area. He has been clean and sober for more than 30 years already and is still going strong. I'm very happy to be able to speak to him. I got to know him when I relocated from Cape Town to Somerset West about, I don't know, five years ago? He is a constant presence in our recovery lives and an excellent example to have in our midst. I have obviously heard him share many times, but I've never heard his full story. I'm quite excited to hear about his full spiritual path. This podcast is supported by The First Layer, the 12-step workbook on working through the 12 steps in any addiction in 21 sessions. There is also a 24-day step coaching and counseling program available based on the first layer. For more information in this regard, go to www.freddy.org.za and click through from the notices at the right of the homepage. Let's get to it then. Sit back and enjoy. Douglas, welcome to Meet Me in the Field on this cold and rainy Cape Town day. But isn't it wonderful? (laughs) Rain... Was, there was 87 millimeters on Tevada's Cliff. Are you serious? Yesterday, somebody oh. called in onto Cape Talk Radio. That's excellent news. Yeah, yeah. And 87, that's a lot. And that's where we need it. That's excellent. Yeah. Because I'm a bit of a Twitter fanatic. And Helen Zillett tweeted a picture of the rain patterns. And I said to, to Yaku still, look, it, it's exactly on the catchment areas. Yeah. So it was exactly correct. Yeah, oh, yeah. That is excellent yeah. I'm news. expecting rivers to be... Yeah, flooding into the dam at Lovely. a rate. Well, I'm grateful for every drop that falls. So when you arrived, I said to you, it feels like a London day. Yeah. And I was shocked the other night when I discovered that you're actually South African. I am. It never crossed my mind that you I might be South African. Born be- in Fishhook in a maternity home that, that no longer exists. Are you serious? I'm serious. So how did you end up in London? Well, I'm a dual citizen by virtue of my grandparents. And when... When South Africa went out of, uh, became a republic and then resigned from the Commonwealth, yeah. it, there was a, uh, at that stage, if you were under 21, you could be registered as a um, British citizen. And okay. my father did, my brother and I, and then later on my youngest brother, who's six years younger, was six years younger, he went and did it his own. Okay. As a hell of a palaver. I can imagine, yeah. You know, all the documentation takes forever. Anyway, once you've got it all together, then once it's done, it's done. Yeah. So, um, you didn't do the girls. <laughs> Are you serious? No. They would get husbands who would look after them. Is Oh my God. Well, I don't know if that's what he actually <laughs> said. I don't remember that. But my oldest sister, she married Holland and they eventually ended up in Holland, which is okay. why I've got Dutch nephews. And she said that he had um, said that husbands would look after him. So, yeah, so I mean, the very first time I went to England in 1970, I, I applied for a passport. Okay. And it was a t- t- different kind of citizenship. And, you know, towards the end of apartheid, and I thought there was going to be a revolution. And like all of us. To do with yeah. them. And I was really peaking in my addictive process and okay. busy losing all my money that I'd made by working addictively <laughs> <laughs> and all that and made a lot of money but and I so didn't actually spend it I just lost it by not applying my normal standards yeah. to my own affairs or whatever if I were advising somebody. the hairdressers here always looks the worst <laughs> 
Sorry, all any any hairdressers listening yeah. to not mean not mean personally. So anyway, it was peaking, and <laughs> I'd lost my job, uh, and I had to be bought out for the shares. So I had enough money at that stage, but it, it didn't, I put it into something, and that just lost money. Oh no! Partner was stealing, and uh, I worked as part of my accounting practice that I was trying to get going. I went and did the monthly accounts for an import-export company, which was managed by an ex-colleague of mine, who now lives in Hout Bay. But it was belong, belonged to an American, him and his husband and wife team, that based in London, um, and did a lot of stuff in the UK, they used to export our stuff. And anyway, they'd split up, so he was running American office, and she was running the UK office, and Ivan was running the South African buying office, and I used okay. to do the books, and one day, I went in there and there was Murray. I've known him. I've known him for a good few years. He's also an alcoholic. Well, he was. He's dead now. But also was an alcoholic. But he was a secret drinker. He was okay. the sort of person <laughs> that you went out. He always drank exactly what you drank. I ended up living in his house with him in Florida. Okay. I never ever saw him drinking, other than when we went out socially. Yeah. That when he was sober, he was mean as cat shit. But when he was drunk, he was. Charming and effusive <laughs> and generous. Frequently didn't remember. I should have known that from having grown up with an alcoholic father. You know, you had to. So you're an adult child as well. I am, and that's how it started. Because okay. his girlfriend was moaning a bit about this, and she was going to these twelve-step fellowships um, called Adult Children of Alcoholics. Yeah. So I said, Oh, I know about that. So her car blew up. She was talking to him, and he, no, no, he would rent her a car, he would do all of these ideas, but he was three sheets in the wind. And <laughs> when she phoned him up, or went to see him in the office, to th- I could see that he didn't remember. Oh, my word. But he, he, he's, he was very good, so, you know, he, he followed it through, yeah. and he did what he promised, but he had to be reminded what it was. Anyway... <laughs> So, so, so that's how I found the fellowship because by that time I was more binge, I was a binge drinker, but drugs were, you know, you just did them, yeah. whatever was around. I smoked a lot of dope, but so we used to get Malawi cob, which was about the strongest you'd get, and um, and then we'd get Roybart from um, Swaziland, Swazi okay. Roybart. I had a friend. I never thought of him as a dealer. <laughs> <laughs> we'd go to Swaziland. In fact, he smuggled some, but we went to Swaziland for a weekend once, and I didn't realise until we got home that he actually smuggled dope in my car. Oh, my God. And went through customs and everything. I think. Okay. But, I mean, they didn't know it was there, but he yeah. did it away. I didn't know it was there. <laughs> loved amphetamine, loved coke, but didn't do it. It was too expensive, and the dope was too good. Terrified of heroin or needles, and oh, yeah. so I didn't do that. But we used to do coke sometimes when I would travel. Okay. And I'm glad I didn't find crack because I was taken to like mm. a duck <laughs> And coincidentally, the very first NA meeting I went to in Lakeland in Central Florida was um, right in the middle, then it's moved a bit, right in the middle of Crack City in Lakeland, Florida. Oh, my word. Anyways, so talking to, I can't remember her name, his girlfriend anyway, and she told me about this. And I said, tell me what's it all about. And she brought me a laundry list. You know, like AA, you get a laundry list? Yeah. It was a laundry list for adult children of alcoholics. It was a draft. It hadn't been promulgated. This is, you know, you're talking 1986. Yeah. I read this thing and I said, how could they write this stuff? They don't even know me because okay. it all applied. Yeah. Oh, so wow. I started going. And that's what softened me up. So that was your first introduction? To tw- now, I knew about 12 steps because my yeah. father was in AA twice. Okay. 
And there's a story. When he died, my mother gave me his big book, and I got all excited because he never would let us go to meetings with him. In fact, once, I was still a teenager, I think. I was still living at home anyway. Maybe I was studying. And he said, oh, do you want to come to a meeting? I got all excited because now I was going to learn something about my father. Yeah. Because he, he was really miserable when he got sober. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he was like going through his teenage years, Oy. you know. It was one of those classic ones. Oh, Won't you just have a fucking drink? <laughs> and he was going to meetings and speaking mm. at meetings, and he had a sponsor who became his best friend, probably his only ever real friend in his life. She gave me the big book. Now, my big book, which I bought for five Canadian dollars on Vancouver <laughs> Island at a book sale on the beach, <laughs> because I was at, or started going by then, I was a few months clean and so and, and then I got all excited. I'm going to see, I'm going to find out stuff about yeah. pristine. Not a mark. It's like it had just come out of the shop. <laughs> well, it's a bit old, but because it's uh, probably a 60s yeah. version. And I don't remember. It was the third edition, because I still use a third edition, because that's what I've got. By that time, you know, because I was binging, and I would binge to blackout, not always blackout, but mostly. You know, like I'd wake up in the morning, my wallet would be empty, and the last thing I remember was saying, because I used to count, I used to try to control it. And I never knew the bin- when the binge was going to happen. Okay. And I was trying to figure out when the binge was going to happen, because that, that way I could solve the problem. Try to control, get the cutoff point. So, whatever it was. Yeah. Anyway, the last thing I would remember on a fairly regular basis was, oh, I've had so many and I'm fine. And that would be the last one. My wallet would be empty. One time I, 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 I have a vague memory that there were these two guys that I picked up. Now, I normally wouldn't do that. Two guys in Hillbrow. Oh, I took them home. They stole stuff. I had a Rolex watch in the, uh, in the drawer that I didn't Wait. use. I was going to give to my ne- my mm. godson. All that sort of thing. And, you know, call the police and all that sort of thing. But then you know, how did they get in? And, you know, yeah. <laughs> all, those, all those nasty questions that you prefer not to answer. <laughs> when, when, when the police were coming, my maid, I had, we used to sit on, on the, the back part of the house, which is returned into the front. Okay. In, onto a lawn in the garden, closed garden, and smoke joints sometimes. And they always take the pips out. Yeah. Anyway, it's a big plant <laughs> And so the maid, Oh, the first thing the first thing that was interesting about that plant was my sister was, a, you know, she was a Miss Republic of South Africa, so she was um, in the modelling fraternity and she was going to have a TV shoot there in the main centre. <laughs> you know what that is. <laughs> Oops. Anyway, so we planted in the other garden. Anyway, they, 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 I was terrified that the police, when they came, would think that the people cloned from the street over the wall yeah. you know, and they would find this plant. So I pulled it up and I don't know what it did. Well, I eventually smoked it. Our priorities. Our priorities, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, but I was binging. I mean, for example, there was this all-night place and I quite fancied, actually we had an affair after a while, quite fancied the guy that worked, I used to drink there sometimes, a long, slow screw standing up against the wall. But the trouble <laughs> is with things like that, they have a cool ring. You can, it's like drinking cool ring, but yeah. very powerful. You, you don't realise how much you drink. <laughs> Six or seven, you can't, and you might fall over. Because <laughs> I used to drink everybody else's because they couldn't handle it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> no, I'm very generous. <laughs> anyway, I, I went there one evening, and they said, oh, Douglas, it's nice to see you. It's, it's so unusual to see you two here two nights in a row. Because I had to go past it on my way home. And I'd been out to dinner with a friend, and then we drank a lot. In fact, the very t- first time, I think I got stopped by the police. But um, they were just introducing breathalyzers, or about to. And um, 
They had a chat at the window and I was, I was able to cope with it. I could remember that. But I don't remember going to that place. Oh, the following night I went there on my way out or something and, and um, I hadn't a clue that yeah. I'd been there. Even when they told me I'd been so I said, you know, because I said, well, did I misbehave myself? And, and uh, you get all these knowing that. <laughs> like I hadn't a clue what happened. They didn't tell me and I, didn't, I wasn't well, sure. Yeah, anyway. I had my first one yeah. when, and I didn't even know what it was, but I spoke to a friend of mine in Johannesburg to make an arrangement about something, so mm. I was in Cape Town. And I called her and I said, hey, how are you doing? I'm just calling about, are you okay? I said, yes, why well, should We spoke just now about the same thing. As in, I virtually put the phone down. And then phoned her again. And I called her yeah, again and yeah. I didn't know that I did it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was... Um, scary stuff. Scary stuff. Anyway, so I was having, I would do those binges. So I couldn't be certain that I was an alcoholic. Because, see, I wasn't going to be like my father. Okay. I just did it a little bit differently. He tended to binge a little bit too. Um, but he drank a lot more in between than I okay. did. So in, uh, in the house that yeah. you grew up in, with father being an alcoholic, yeah. has you always been from your first memory? Ever since I can remember. Okay. Yeah, ever since I can remember. So was there any form of, of religious connection, spiritual connection? How did you grow up? Well, my mother was quite religious, Christian religion, and in the Anglican church. Okay. He, my father wasn't. And we had to go to Sunday school. Okay. And I hated it. I would get out of it. It didn't mean anything to me. And, and then when I became an early, you know, 12 or 13, you had to go to confirmation classes. Yeah. And the, guy, the, the minister in the church was a drunk. I mean, he used to come and tend to my father sometimes when he was a drunk, but I think he was a drunk because if you went to a communion service, I mean, when everything was done, he would drink all the rest of the wine and all, <laughs> eat all the rest of the biscuits or wafers or whatever that stuff like that. I thought he was red. But I think he was. Yeah. He had a very red face. Anyway, he would be teaching us all the stuff. I hadn't a clue what he was teaching or trying to... I didn't take any interest in it whatsoever. Anyway, I got confirmed. <laughs> I can't say I was spiritual. Okay. I liked the outdoors. I walked all over the Peninsula Mountains. And this was still in Cape Town, so I was under 15. I was 15 when we left Cape Town. Okay. You know, so I sort of went to church sometimes, and I think I got involved with the Young People's Fellowship and... Anglic AYPA, AYPS, we used to call Okay. <laughs> and I had friends at school and stuff, and, you know, I don't think I had any spiritual... Then, then I went through a period of being super religious and wouldn't swear and doing all of that sort of thing, and I kind of drifted out of that. So okay. it, it was never a serious part of my life. I, I kind of knew that um, there was something. Yeah. You know, there had to be a purpose. Otherwise, what's the purpose? You know, when, when I was a teenager, when I was 15, as far as I was concerned, I mean, my mother's parents were 27 years older than I was, so that would make them 42. And as far as I was concerned, they were passive. What was life about bringing up all these brats? <laughs> you know? And I thought that um, there was no point in living beyond about 25. You could have your fun, and then it's time to go. Yeah. Possibly 30. For me, there was no doubt in my mind that I'll die young. Yeah. It, I, I, just, it no, just, I didn't think I was going to die young or anything in particular. I just think I couldn't see any point yeah. in living longer. Me as well. It, it, it yeah. just never came up yeah. for me that yeah. I might have to plan a future or something. Yeah. It was just kind of, it, it's just going to end early and that's going yeah. to be okay. And look look where we are now. What, what went wrong? Well, that's right. <laughs> and and um, I didn't really have a spiritual path in any way. Okay. I mean, I was, kind of interested 
not in the church, I mean by that time, and by that time, I, I, while I didn't have the words, I was I knew that I was attracted to guys. Okay, that was my next question going to be yeah. when when when. But did it didn't that come happen? out till I was about thirty-two. Are you serious? No, no, no. I tried with girls and everything, and um, and I didn't come out at all, uh, you know, until I was thirty-two. But I knew. I mean, you know, when I was in Durban, I joined the art club, and you go to you know the junior change room and then the intermediate change room. There's all these naked boys around. Yeah. I mean, you are. <laughs> <laughs> it's raining, man. Yeah. Hallelujah. I mean, there were odd little things, and you know, there was a boy that I knew from primary school. He didn't come to high school. Who liked to do and do things. I was a bit uncomfortable, uh, and he's. But he said, if you did that sort of thing, you wouldn't. You'd never get a cold. <laughs> <laughs> and there was somebody else that I kind of. Uh, no, but I didn't have that spiritual program. I, okay. Uh, but I started, you know, reading. I read quite widely about stuff, and and, and I was interested. In, and I can't remember when I really started reading spiritual type things. But it was probably when I went to the states. So like I, I, I said, I was working at this place, and and this guy said, "We've got a problem in the states. Come and join me." Yeah. And that's how we ended up. So in that's England. how you ended up in the states. It, so, yes, but that's eventually my time was out because I, I didn't get a, a permanent residence or a work visa or anything like that. Okay. I was on, I was a consultant from the London office, and I was they gave me six months each time until oh, one okay. day they weren't computerized. Then one day they only gave me four months, but the, all the stamps were set, so I had to write it in. So you were in the London office by that time already? No, 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 no. I just that's just the ploy that I used, and I didn't want. Uh, I thought there's going to be revolution in South Africa, so I thought. While in, and I was there in Florida for two years, and while I was there, I um, sold my car, sold my house. I went back in the. I left in October, and I went back in June for my sister's wedding. What year is it now? Eighty six. I, okay. I went there in eighty six. Her wedding was in June eighty seven, and I went back there for a couple of weeks, and then afterwards I sold. Afterwards I sold my house. So I sold up by then, and and, um, and I, but what uh, yeah, and I lived in Florida, and I, I was living on that, got a car and all that sort of thing. Okay. So when I went to Florida, several things happened. I mean, first of all, uh, prior to to meeting, you know, getting friendly with uh, Mary, that's the boss, the guy I worked for, girlfriend, and finding out about stuff, I, I met some people. There was a there was a thing. It was basically t- linked with one of the religions, but it said, as an advert- advertisement in the in local newspaper, gay question mark, it's okay, call this number. So I did. And it was a guy who was terrified to meet me, so I met his mother and the lady that she shared a house with, and we became very good friends, still not friends. And uh, Marshall went through all sorts of difficulties, but the son. Anyway, so I got to talk to them, and she was very religious. They were very religious, and they were involved in a spiritualist church. They had a neighbor who did readings and things like that. And so we ended up going up to Casadega, which is a spiritualist church camp, and that's when I started okay. a spiritual program. So, But I'd read stuff about alternative religions, New Age, and, and all the stuff, that stuff inter- interested me. So while I was at Casadega, um, going to Casadega, a guy gave a talk. He was studying hip, hypnotherapy, past life regression. Okay. And um, and so I sort of got to know him a little bit. And we always somebody speaking, and they'd do readings, and it was like a, 
semi-formal church service and, and then um, Loretta, that's the neighbor, Nora's neighbor, would um, do uh, evenings, spiritual evenings. Okay. And I found I could do readings. I stopped doing it eventually, but I found I could do readings uh, for people and stuff like that. Okay. And what, during one of those times, I don't know if it was with Loretta, but somewhere, uh, we did a, a thing with an Ouija board. You know what an yeah. you know Ouija board and you, you know, give messages and things. But when I, somebody took it out of the cupboard and we opened it up and started doing it and I felt the most profound sense of evil Oy. around that. Yeah. Profound. And I just let it go. Uh, and I read a lot of books by a guy called Edgar Casey. And on based on his... All, the thing, interesting thing with Casey was he did remote readings, one, but every reading he did... He had a stenographer partner friend who took down everything, every reading, so all of them, and they were collected together, and an organization, after he died, an organization was formed called Association of Research and Alignment. Um, enlightenment, actually, so not Alignment. And a lot of books were published around his thing, a lot of health guidances okay. and all sorts of things, um, in their spiritual guidances and all sorts of things based on those readings. So I was interested in that for, for quite a long time. And about the same time, I was, um, um, you know, I'd gone to meetings, of course. When I so, what uh, took you to meetings? What, well, what, I got why, did you, what why did you decide to go? I, I, at that stage, was kind of, despite, I wasn't, I, wasn't, I don't think I was that heavily involved in this church, but it certainly came later, that spiritualist church. But what happened was that um, I, I was kind of at the end of my tether emotion. I'd lost most of my money, a little bit of money left, not a lot. I had enough to live on. You know, working and stuff. So I wasn't ever insolvent or anything like that. But it all just seemed pointless and hopeless, and I wanted to die. And I thought it, that it would be sensible. Well, what I could, what could happen is I could get HIV and get AIDS, and everybody would have to love me and take care of me. <laughs> I went off one day um, for the weekend to Daytona Beach. It was about 100 miles from where I lived, and that's at a B&B. And I went to this gay bar going to have a couple of beers and walk on the beach and stuff like this and needs to say I met this bloke and he said so what do you do he said he said he was Asler by that time I'd had two beers <laughs> the upshot of it was we went clubbing and we did all the spend all I paid for everything and I didn't really remember that much but when I woke up in the morning with him next to me um, he was still sexy but he had dirty fingernails <laughs> <laughs> and do you remember this 28 years down the line um, 32 years ago, <laughs> it was February. <laughs> oh my word. February 1987. Of course, I had the most monster hangover, and I was driving back, and I said, You know, this has got to stop. And I'd been in a codependency course with people I met at ACOA. There's a counselor at the hospital who used to do them privately, and I'd been there a few times, and she was a, uh, a recovering alcoholic. And although she was smoking dope the whole time, I knew her. <laughs> Eventually she relapsed and she became my sponsor. She was very good actually as a sponsor for a while. Anyway, I went on this course and, you know, I don't know, somehow, I don't know what we were talking about. It was in a group. I don't know what we were talking about, but it was, something came up and obviously flinched. She looked at me and said, do you have a problem with alcohol? <laughs> I'd been thinking about it, but it couldn't be because I didn't do it all the time. Yeah. Anyway, so, she's, so I said, well, how do you know 
whether you're an alcoholic. And she said, uh, when you do things or behave in a way that's inconsistent with your standards or principles and you're under the influence, yeah. and it applies to addiction as well, I think. And that kind of stuck. Okay. So when I had this binge with this guy, now we must remember that I was involved in gay politics in Johannesburg, Gay Association of okay. South Africa. But I had unprotected sex with this okay. guy who says he's a hustler. Yeah. He probably was a gardener, but I mean, because he had dirty fingernails. <laughs> but maybe did a bit of hustling on the quiet. Yeah. I didn't pay him money, either, but I bought a shitload yeah. of drinks. I mean, Christ, you know, to have a hangover like that. <laughs> and um, driving around as well. Anyway, so driving home with this monster hangover, I thought, no, this has got to stop. And I got a fright. Okay. Because I wouldn't, and that's when I remembered what okay, Bonnie so, had said about mm -hmm. doing the things that go against your principles uh, or standards, yeah. or behaving in a different way because you're under the influence. And if I'd been sober, you wouldn't you know, have I, done I, that. I probably right? would have insisted on a condom or something. Ah, I wouldn't have let him go. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. <laughs> you also have your pride. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, so then then I thought, well. Well, you know, I started finding out about... I knew a little bit about meetings because of the ACOA yeah. connection. And I thought there was a gay meeting in Tampa, which is 45 miles away. If I went there to Tampa to an AA meeting, I might meet a husband and I might get sober. Ah. And you see, when I got to that meeting... Well, I didn't find the husband either, but when I got to, when I got to the meeting, I went to a lot, lot of good candidates, but... <laughs> Die vlees was gewillig, maar die oes is zwak. So they the oes was good. And the vlees was gewillig. Absolutely. Anyway, so, but when I, I mean, I didn't say I was a newcomer or anything because I'd been going to Transit Fellowships yeah. the ACOA, so I, it was, I was very confused. So, um, anyway, I decided I was going to stay. So then I started going to meetings in Lakeland and um, a couple of months later, um, the draftsman in the office was getting married and he brought this, I wouldn't call it champagne, sparkling wine, it was horrible, just sweet stuff. <laughs> he produced this you know, bubbly impulse around, I took a mouth on it. Actually, that's a relapse. <laughs> Only one. One mouth. One mouthful. It was horrible. But I didn't drink another one. So a few months later, we came back from my sister's wedding and the pre night. Um, the pre-wedding drinks uh, party at uh, Father-in-law's place and um, this was real stuff pink champagne from France Ah, we, we, we remember South Africa was apartheid so yeah. we didn't get French it was exactly. real expensive and, yeah. can you remember those days someone went overseas and they brought you Swiss chocolate <gasps> oh my god well they were wealthy I mean he was a director of Father Rad, oh, my word. Okay. Father, and I was given this and I arrived and I drank this. Another fucking relapse. So my relapses were not binges or anything. Yeah. It was just each time it was one glass of champagne. Oh, that's and, pathetic. You know, yeah. If you're going to do it, at least go big or yeah. go home. <laughs> well, that, that, that would have been my argument. I would have thought, oh, well, I've relapsed already. I might as well have a bottle. Well, I wasn't that in, you know, I wasn't so entrenched in the finish. If it happened to me now, that's exactly what I would do. Yeah. It's one of the things that keep me clean and yeah. sober. If I start having those sorts of ideas, you know, the needle in the arm and every, yeah. the whole lot, all the things I didn't do. See, I did have a needle once. I had an allergic reaction to penicillin. And I had to go back to the doctor. It was a terrible reaction. He put a needle in my arm, gave me intravenous and antihistamine. Okay. Oh, it made wow. me high as a kite. I wasn't allowed to drive. 
Oh, wow. So next time I needed antibiotics, I went back to him and I said, give me penicillin. No, 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 we can't do that. It's too dangerous. I said, you can put that needle in my arm. <laughs> because I wanted more. Oh, my that God. That was you know, way before yeah. fellowship days. Anyway, so, but I wasn't that, I was going to meetings, but I wasn't that involved okay. in it. And I certainly wasn't doing anything like the steps and all that sort okay. of thing. So, um, and around about that time, I went on a, you had a thing in Florida called Agape. What was that in Florida? But it's a it's a weekend based loosely around AA, but all fellowships win. Okay. And uh, this girl, Bonnie, who told me that she was doing the codependency course, said, um, uh, and I went as an ACOA, I think. Well, I, mean, I think I was going to meetings, the AA meetings at that point. And she said he was coming. She put me in to share with Michael. She thought he was gay, I was gay. He, we would hit it off. Really took chat to hours in the morning. Um, didn't get much sleep. Yeah, and so we became friends, and, and he was by then about eight or nine months. And he took me to my very first NA meeting. I'd never okay. heard of it. I knew, always knew about AA because of my father. Yeah. And uh, it took me to my first NA meeting in Crack City. They're called Top Crack of the Bottom. <laughs> Were you still smoking dope at that stage and using, using the odd coke? When I was in the States, I didn't. So, um, so anyway, so that's when I met Michael and he took me to, to NA. Okay. And, and that was how many years ago? Was still, that was 1987. 87. So then I was going to meetings and, and you know, I was seeing Bonnie regularly, talking to her, and then I went away for Labor Day weekend. That's significant. I went to New York for the weekend. And what did I do? I went, no, I didn't relapse. Oh, okay. I, did, I did and I didn't. <laughs> I went to, this, to a gay bar and I met this bloke and he came back to the hotel and he said, do you smoke? And I knew he meant to join. And I said, no. Do you mind if I do? And I said, no, I don't mind. He rolled this joint and he lit it and then he took a few puffs and then he passed it to me and I took it and I took a puff. But in America, they don't add tobacco. Okay, yeah. And it's very tight and I'm, I swear I didn't get anything, <laughs> but I did voluntarily take it. Yeah. I said, Jesus, this is crazy. So then I had a problem. Now, in NA, my clean date now was Labor Day weekend. Okay. And I haven't used it since then. And... But in AA, my sobriety date was my sister's wedding yeah. in June of that year. <laughs> and my real sobriety date was 12th or 15th of February, you know, when I'd had the last binge. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so it's very confusing. Extremely confusing. So what do you use? Well, I asked everybody, what must I do? And everybody, nobody would tell me what to do. Because nobody, you don't tell but them that, what Clearly, to do. it was on my mind. Yeah. And then, well, you've got to think about it, Douglas. It's on your mind. It's obviously worrying you. Anyway, the next Agape weekend I went to, you had a clean time countdown. And I didn't say anything to anybody. I just thought, no, this is ridiculous. And I picked up a white, the equivalent of a white chip at that Agape weekend. Everybody roar! <laughs> I knew what I'd been going yeah. through. They were waiting to see. Who, I hadn't said I was going to do anything. And that's uh, my clean date is the 5th of September 1987. Okay. And I, told, I said earlier that you know, when I was coming across the border in the airport into the States and there was, there was this thing, I thought it was time to go. So I thought I'm going to go to South Africa. No, not, not to, I wasn't going to go back to South Africa. I sold everything up. There's no point in going back. And I'd been thinking of going 10 or more, yeah, 15 years I'd been thinking of going to moving to the UK and I should have done it when I was much younger. So I did, eventually they did a geographical to get clean in Florida, but uh, there's nothing, nothing for me to go back to really. Yeah. 
and my parents were living in Canterbury, so I stayed with them. Okay, so by that time they 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 moved well, after they retired. Okay, and he relapsed again. He went the second time round in in a, in Aya. He relapsed again uh, there, but um, that's a different story. So I, I decided. In, so fifth of September I went, and 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 funny enough, I went on a spiritual after the last relapse. I went to a spiritual because I read all sorts of things like Alan Cohen stuff and um, various other Melody Beattie, all of those self help yeah. religious spiritual type books. And I went on a spiritual retreat on the Big Island of Hawaii one Easter weekend. Nothing to do with Fit Twelve Steps, but it was all around um, Alan Cohen. Was he there? I think he was. He wrote a book. What was that? I forget what it was called. I still got them actually. Um, very interesting. Part of one of those things you had to go and and um, you pair off, and you'd say something, and the other person would say so they talk about something about your past or your life or whatever, and um, blow me down if I don't choose, I don't partner up with a guy quite a lot older than I was, who was eight years sober in AA. <laughs> so we, and there was another person in the fellowship, and so we'd have private three three of us have AA meetings while we were there. We were there for about four days. Okay. It just, and I, I was just saying there was a theme. I can't remember what it was now, and I just opened my mouth and burst into tears. And we became friends. He lived. I was in Florida, and he lived near Philadelphia, but okay. Atlantic City actually. So the spiritual path, whatever spiritual so path, you seem to have been seeking. Is, yes. Well, I was seeking something, I and mean, yeah. purpose. I don't, I don't you know. Um, but I'm also also highly skeptical. You know, a lot of this, you know, I went, I read quite a bit about near-death experiences and about life after death and about uh, reincarnation. And it seems nice. It's, it makes sense to me. But there's always, when it comes with religions or any of those, or anybody, any movement or anything like when it comes with that there's always a little catch triggers in, in, in my mind it triggers you know in other words how would it work i mean if you go the buddhist way you're supposed to go through several incarnations until you reach a christ-like state yeah and christ was one of those and the buddha was supposed to be one of those so yeah. coming into recovery you mentioned that you went through a bit of a of a going to that churchy type yes. of spiritual so that's all did that continue in, for a while? Or? Yes, well, I was in Florida, and then okay. I, I kind of... I, I tried to make some contact in London, but I, I never really pursued it. And I'd been on a healing course, and I'd done a bit of healing. But what I had to do when I was working the steps, obviously, was, you know, if you... And you've probably heard me say this in, in, in meetings often enough, is that if... Um, you know, if there's a problem and there's a solution, you've got to follow the solution. And the problem is the solution. The solution, essentially, if you boil it down, is a power greater than yourself. And I was tied in with those. That's where the, that's part of my story with the spiritualist church. And also. So I was ready into new age. I, I certainly, now I was well out of the closet by then, and I certainly wasn't, couldn't be doing with churches who okay. go along and, and, and have massive intellectual arguments about um, whether I was a sin or not. Yeah. 
<laughs> why would I join an organization? Why would I join? Why would I be involved in an organization? Yeah. Right, I, I was able to separate the spiritual. Out. I didn't think it was spiritual at all, yeah. but I, I still don't. But I, I was able to separate the, the, the need for a spiritual or for a loving higher power away from that religious dogma yeah. where they go into paroxysms about whether they should allow homosexual priests or not, <laughs> or whether to oppose marriage, yeah. gay marriage, and stuff like that. I mean, it's outrageous. Yeah. And so, why would I? And people say, yeah, but you know, there are gay Christians. I said, well, I think they're crazy because why would I want to be involved in an organized? Oh, no, this is about God. I said, well, you can do God mm-hmm. without, um, if you want to do God, you can do God without yeah. going to a church where, they, where, they, where, they, where they're only going to tolerate you, not accept you. I mean, I, I met a boy, he was, he was 19 or 20, in 1996. He was the receptionist at Monkey Suntane. I was on tour in 1996 with Michael, actually, all around Saturday. Anyway, we, Michael went to sleep and we had a little... He seduced me. And <laughs> you were completely innocent. <laughs> no. <laughs> there was a huge age difference and all that. Anyway, so we sort of stayed in the correspondence. And I said I lived in the UK. He said he was planning to come tonight. Eventually he did. And he came and stayed with me. But he was very religious and he came from Langsburg, I think, and a small town in the community. And he'd had guys before, older guys. And he wouldn't sleep with me, he had to sleep on the couch. But every now and again he'd, he'd come into my room. And he had this religious angst. And mm-hmm. when he did it, he was so guilty, he would leave the flat at six o'clock in the morning so I wouldn't see him yeah. and come back late at night. I don't know so what he was doing. Doesn't have to face you, yeah. Yeah. Oy, shame. And then he would, eventually I said, you know, this isn't in the work, you, you've got to go. And he went off somewhere else. And then, just before he was going, I didn't hear from him for ages and ages. And um, then I got a call, for, a message from him. Just went before I came back to South Africa, and I mean I've tried to talk. By then I knew about I was working at Terence Higgins Trust, and I knew about gay men's Christian movements. There's gay Christian movements. There's other ones. There's you know all religion, yeah. Muslims. All of them, big gay people, have been able to accept their their homosexuality alongside their religion. I said it doesn't work for me, but I'm not yeah. religious. And it's causing that he wanted to, he had to go and get married and have children. I don't know what happened to him because when, when I called back and the number didn't work, so maybe it was the wrong number that he left. And eventually I got hold of a friend and now he's gone back and, and I said, well, he left a message and I don't know what that was about. That's that religious angst that well, the, the religion really, really makes you, stops you from being who you are. Mm. I mean, you know, the spirituality and religion it should be founded on truth. And the truth is who you are. You, yeah. you're, you're, you're a bloke that fancies blokes. Why should you not have a happy long-term yeah. relationship? I had a yeah. wonderful conversation yeah. a few weeks ago on yeah, yeah. with a minister from the Central Methodist Mission in, yeah, yeah. in Cape Town. Mm. And he had such a beautiful message from the Bible. I knew about, a Methodist preacher in London. Is it? His message was truly kind of, you know, homosexuality is as acceptable as any sexuality yes. and nobody can convince me any other way yeah. and that was really nice yeah. so that was right now I'm just going to say that, I mean on the spiritual thing so I was involved in that spiritual and, and it had to be kind of lit new age way and then it had to be something and I didn't really know what it was I tend to call it God they told me to get on my knees and I, for a year I did every day 
and um, and pray. And then I thought, you know, that sounds religious. Because in Florida, very, I mean, the AA is almost like a Christian thing. Yeah. They do the Lord's prayers, a lot of the meetings, which is Christian. It's not inclusive. Yeah. But that, but you know, the deep south and all that, so they they tend to be religious. And they also said, well, it doesn't matter what you choose. It's not up to us. It's up to you. Yeah. You can have mine if you like. Just. Don't make it your sponsor or or, or an individual. Or if you're a love addict, your husband or your boyfriend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because because don't do. put people on pedestals yeah. because they fall off and then you might crash as yeah. well. And that's actually, actually that did happen. I put them on pedestals, but I didn't use them as my higher power. Yeah. But it could be anything I wanted. So I had this amalgam of um, universal intelligence, a benign God or super spirit or human humankind, all the meetings, all of that sort of thing yeah. you know, from time to time varied. I mean, for instance, I had an experience one day um, when I was driving the five-minute rush hour to Bartow, a small town where the office was, uh, from Lakeland, fuming because of the traffic, and I stopped where we stopped. And there was a car next to us. And I remembered that, you know, in the New Age sort of things, we're all connected, you know, we're all connected. Yeah. If, we, if you think of spirit and soul, it's in me, mm. it's in you, and it's in God, or, or high power, whatever you want to call it. We're all connected. So I looked up at this guy that was irritating me in the next car. I looked at him and I thought, well, now if that's the case, then we're connected. Why am I like this? Yeah. And I smiled at him, and he smiled back. Oh, wow. He didn't know what was going on, but, yeah. you know, because of that connection, we're all connected. So that's also, it's all mixed up in there, and I really don't know, and it really doesn't matter what it was. And, awesome. and, and you and the guys in the fellowship said, it can be whatever you like. And then I, I read in, in, you know, because when I was doing the steps, um, I read each step in every book I could find, you know, every fellowship I could find. And it says in the 12 by 12, I think, if I remember correctly, there's only two requirements for this higher power. One, that it's a power greater than yourself. It could be the table because the table um, uh, you know if you beat yourself hard enough to really hurt you so it's definitely stronger than you yeah. are in physically anyway um, and the other end was love you no matter what yeah and I've, that's what I've stuck with yeah. and so but over the years I mean I, I was fairly rigid about what it was in those early days and, and I used to like to tell you Ah, <laughs> you know, uncertain terms. <laughs> well, you know, you had you had to do it my way. Look what I found. You've got to be like that. <laughs> Today, I really don't know what it means. It doesn't matter. However, I've got a lot of evidence to show that there's something. Yeah. My life may not be great. It may not be where I want it to be. But I've stayed clean and sober. So something I've been working For nearly 31 on. years. <laughs> yes. So... I was scared, you know, when, in those first early days. I mean, today okay. I might get blasé and get yeah. complacent, but in those days I was scared, and I did what people suggested. I did it's a very test. good fear in the beginning. I, I remember yeah. so well how afraid I was as well. And that yeah. fear is gone. It's just kind of now, oh, yeah. this is what I need to do, and I'm completely okay to do it. And I don't have okay. a fear of, of relapse or anything. I still have fears, and I know they're irrational. I talk about them in my prayers. And one of the things that I've done consistently, I'm to talk to my higher power every morning. I have a little ritual. Cool. At one stage, it was a bit longer, and I've shortened it. And I used to go through various of the prayers that did, tended to go for the NA ones because they were shorter. They were the same <laughs> thing, but shorter than the AA one. But I could recite you both. <laughs> um, 
Um, and that Bonnie suggested my early recovery, I must read chapter five of the big book every night before I go to sleep, yeah. once every day. I used to read it every night for oh, more than a year. Oh, my God. So, so I have those rituals. Yeah. I mean, I, at one stage, if the readings weren't there, and the, I could recite it virtually. Yeah. So, but I have this ritual, and, and sometimes I meditate, I can meditate, and sometimes I can't keep my mind still. Yeah. But I have this thing consistently that I do. And when things go a bit all right during the day, you know, I remember that okay. I, I put the, the, the tape on repeat the serenity <laughs> prayer. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. And so th- these are all the things I've, I've picked yeah. up. And so in a sense, that's my spiritual program. Okay, yeah. And it's centered around the 12 steps. And, I, and I'm, I'm 101% certain I need to formally work my way <laughs> through the steps. I've got issues with um, sex and lust uh-huh. now, still. And that's come back. Okay. And food. You know the funny thing? Oh, about, food is my issue at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I go through stages of binging on sugar and stuff, mm. and then I I'm in a phase of binging on sugar. But oh. years ago, I was in, in, in OA. I mean, I just really kept off sugar. And I drank um, herbal teas and decaffeinated coffee. But I drank coffee. Anyway, I met a boy in, in um, um, OA. And um, I'd lost quite a lot of weight, too. I mean, it would be nice for me to have a relationship, but I look in the wrong place. Okay. So looking for love in all the wrong places. I'm not, I don't know what I'm looking for. So I need, really, to go through the steps, yeah. uh, um, uh, focusing on, on those two issues. Because it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's a, I think there's an underlying fear in there. And there's a, there's a lot of fear still underneath yeah. in there. There's a lot of... And I think... It's partly an attempt to block the establishment of a relationship. Well, I've had the odd ones, but not really in recovery. So um, you definitely fall in love with the ones you know will not work so that you... Something like that. Yeah. I, I don't consciously yeah. think about this. It's very under the, under the surface. But it's a, it's a very unconscious thing, and I do not yeah. know what it's about. And, and so I need oh, well, there's a 12 step fellowship so just yeah. just do those steps again yeah that's, um, oh, well, that's the, the, and I need to reinforce my yeah. whatever spiritual path that cool. I'm on and I, and, and I need to deal with it but I've been thinking that for a few years and that I, <laughs> I'm, I'm one of my defects character well in the bible biblical sense it's sloth I prefer the word procrastination I think procrastination is a far did far, my, far better word yes and I did my first step four I mean I put it off for is it? Oh, my word. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-uh. Douglas, yeah. Yeah. our time has come. This was yeah. really, really awesome. I loved hearing your story and the weaving in of the spirituality at the phases. So that was quite nice. Yeah. But I thank you very much. Sure. Really appreciate yeah. your time. I love talking about myself. <laughs> All of us do. Douglas and I spoke for a very long time. As a rule, I try to keep Meet Me in the Field episodes short, but sometimes that is not possible. I enjoyed my chat with Douglas. We got carried away quite often, so I had to edit hard in order to get this episode under one hour. Douglas had a full and interesting life. I loved to hear how life sent him where he needed to be at certain stages in his life. As you heard, Douglas may be relocating back to London soon. He shall be dearly missed. He is, after all, a legend. If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website, which is www.freddy.org.za, or find him on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash freddy.org.za forward slash, or on Twitter at at Rendsburg Freddy. 
Remember that Freddy is always spelt with an IE at the end. I want to thank you for listening. Be safe. Bye.